this thing on. Let me turn it down a little. Booyah, what up, Paler Hackers? Clark back again. Guess what I did this weekend? I went and saw Oprah Live. I'm dead serious, 100% right now. And guess what else I did this weekend? I went and saw Oprah Live with my mother. She surprised me with tickets back in, like, April? Something like that. Um, and she's like, I don't have any friends to go with to Oprah. And so, you know, of course, I'm all about Oprah. I love her. I think she's doing great things in the world. Say what you will, Oprah haters. Uh, we'd all love to be there one day. At least I would. I think that'd be rad, having your own network talk show. Anyway, to wrap it up, I mean, just to give you a picture of, of kind of how the weekend went, I had never seen so many uh, middle-aged women, tissues, uh, <laughs> you know, coffee cups, Starbucks everywhere. Oh, this is funny. There was only two... Uh, so, so let me tell a story. So I walk in and immediately within like three seconds, one of the security guards pulls me aside and he's like, sir, I need to talk to you. And I'm like, okay, what, what did I do? What did I smuggle in? I mean, I brought an apple and like a grapefruit, but I didn't think he was going to take that away. Um, and so he's, he's like, have they, gets this real serious look in his face and he says, has they told you about the men's room situation? I'm staring at him like, no. And he's like, okay, the only men's rooms in the entire 18,000-seat key arena in Seattle are on the second and third floor. And I'm just thinking to myself, oh, my gosh, that is nuts. So I had the whole place to myself, but I was in there, and uh, here's the TMI bit. I was, I was using the bathroom, and then, like, three middle-aged women just start running out of the stalls. And I'm just thinking, what the heck? And then the other time I was in there... There was a line of women who just barged right in. It was like they owned the place. Um, it was it was nuts. And then they finally got security guards outside of the men's rooms. I'm dead serious. Um, I put up some videos and pictures on my Instagram feed, at Clark Dangerous. Uh, that's kind of just my personal whatever. I don't really do any health or business things on there. That's just kind of me living it up at Oprah with the moms. Um, so anyway, that's good. Thanks for listening to my story. It was a fun weekend. Got a lot out of it. Somewhat. All right. Well, who we got today? We got Katie Bowman coming on the show. Stoked for this one. Uh, She was on the show, I want to say six months ago, and talked about posture, um, alignment that matters, all that stuff. This time she's back to talk about Move Your DNA, which is her new book. It's really cool. It's kind of like a mini... I don't know. I don't want to say four-hour body, but that's kind of the book that comes to mind. It covers a lot of topics. It's really dense. It's not just another health book. You get on a store, eat this, don't eat that, go paleo, cut the grains, dairy, soy. It has a lot, a lot, a lot of uh, like biomechanics in there and how your body moves in a kinetic chain. And um, I enjoyed a lot of the corrective stretches in there, actually, like like foot-strengthening stretches if you're transitioning to minimal footwear. Or um, neck stretches or jaw release when you hold all your tension or how to get more energy out of breathing. So anyway, guys, that's a plug for her book. Thanks, Katie, for sending it over. She put like overnight shipping on it. Got here real quick. Anyway, ClarkDanger.com, the website that has not been updated in six months. Woo! Maybe I'll throw some Oprah stuff on there. Clark Dangerous on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook. It's all good. Clark at PaylorHacks.com is my email. Feel free to message me. Shoot me an email. I'd love to hear from you guys. Respond to them all. All right. You guys ready for the show? I'm ready for you to hear it. Let's go see what my girl Katie has to say.
Ladies and gentlemen, my paleo hacking audience, how you doing this morning? We got our next guest, who is a returner. Her name is Katie Bowman, international biomechanist. Uh, Katie says blog. Last time she came on the show, talked to us about uh, alignment that matters. Her or her book, her program about getting back into alignment. You know, we hear all this talk about processed foods, processed environment, processed worlds, a lot, a lot, a lot of, but we never really get down to processed movements. And the fact that, you know, some of the movements we're doing on a day-to-day basis are processed. We just get in a routine of doing them over and over again. And that is just as toxic to us as the processed foods we eat. So as I step off my soapbox and actually let Katie start talking, Today she's back to uh, talk about her new book, Move Your DNA, and I'm really excited to see what this book um, is all about. I had a chance to look through it, but I'm excited to talk about it. So Katie, thanks for coming on the show. Hey, thanks for having me. I didn't I didn't know Returner was a ca- – like I'm a returner. You are. You are. That was an album title by one of these bands <laughs> I listened to, so I think it just sticks in your head. Returner. She's yeah. a, I'm a returner. I'm a returner sister or something like that. Yeah, there you go. She's, she's the returner. Um, but no, I got, I got a lot of great feedback from that show we did. So you should feel good about that one. And, um, let's make this show even better. All right. I feel validated now. So let's do it. Yeah. Yeah, it's true. And and you were telling me before the call, I mean, I know move your DNA came out, um, yesterday it was right. Yeah. I think yesterday was the official release day. They were shipping. Um, we got it, it printed early, which is a miracle of miracles, but it's been out for about four weeks for the people who pre-ordered, but yeah. Okay. Um, a couple of days now. And anyone um, not familiar with kind of launching a new book or, or launching a new product or what's that whole process like on you? Like, is that just draining or is it energizing a little bit of both? Yeah, it's both. You know, you ha- you have the, um, the pre-scheduled, you know, tour. The new book tour is the podcast tour because you can – great, yeah. you know, carbon footprint. And But I did some – I did an interview with Reuters, which got picked up and got it, – it was everywhere. It was like on the Today Show. And that was the first – like out of the gate, Whoa. that was my first interview. It was a Reuters interview about walking, you know, being this nutritious superfood. And so the bonus – interviews that came up from that in addition to my you know 30 podcast <laughs> yeah tour was insane like i was just doing cbs radio and and all of these little stuff that just popped up in the last couple of days which threw me a little bit because i just got back from six weeks on the road oh. in europe with my little kids so i'm recovering and i'm taking my own medicine a lot of sleep a lot of walking good food so all those stations where they let you speak for like two minutes and that's it's- it you know? <laughs> it is. It is. I actually got five minutes nice. in a C- in on C- KCBS in San Francisco, which was, you know, to say it in a California style, totally rad, like to have five yeah. whole minutes. But it's like on, on, bam, bam, thanks, click, you know. Yeah, so. totally. And uh, for the minutes, the host is trying to crack his jokes. Right. <laughs> you have to be really good at getting back on, man. I watch some of those and I try and put myself in both the host situation and the guest situation. And I'm just like, oh, it is crazy how we run television, you know? And and when you get into those, like, debate shows, it's even better. Like, you watch a Hannity something, and there's no debating going on. There's just, like, let me cut you off. Let me cut you off. So, oh, anyway. Well, the best advice that I ever got a long time ago when I started doing more mass media stuff was people listen to the show because they love the host. So I imagine that anyone listening to your show likes you. So while they're interested in what I might have to say, they're just as interested in how you, how you are processing it because you are the, you're the man. All right. Now my head is 
three times the size of this room. Excellent. So We're already moving that. your DNA. We just moved your DNA <laughs> right up to your head. <laughs> That's true. So, I mean, with this crazy launching and, you know, this is a new thing. Obviously, you don't do every day or every year even. Um, how, what have you been adapting and changing in your lifestyle to kind of combat all this um, hectic stress? Of the book launch? Um, yeah. And the I shows think- and the radio and the podcasts. Yeah, you know what? The the first thing that I did was I you know, I have two little kids. My time is tapped. So not only and and just to point out, I've actually written a book a year for the last 3 years. This is my third book Whoa. in 3 years. But this is the biggest one. It already it already became a bestseller just from the pre-sales mm. alone. So it officially made bestseller yesterday, which was awesome. Um but so my time is my time is already maxed. There, there was there's no more time, but that's not really the case because I was like, well, I could get up a couple hours earlier, right? You know, so when we came back from Europe, we were on this natural go to bed at six o'clock, wake up at 2 a.m. Yeah. And I just maintained kind of a version of that, of just going to bed, at, like really when the sun went down, like I put my kids to bed and just stay there. And then I was getting up at 4.30 and I'd work for 20 minutes, but I started walking five miles every morning before the sun even came up. And I've done that for the last few weeks. And I swear that that has taken what would normally be a super hectic, stressful kind of, you know, you get a headache midday, you're, you're fatigued, you've been talking into something like I feel fantastic every day. Hmm. And, and so you, you're just walking then you're doing like five miles. I mean, I know in the book and we'll get into it, but, um, you know, you recommend walking as kind of your exercise and your medicine really to move your DNA. But um sounds like you've adopted that and that's worked really well. Well, yeah. And I'm, I'm, I've always been a walker and, you know, walking as a movement to be done, just distributed throughout the day is certainly um, a load input, you know, that the human body really requires. But, but even more than just the walk, you know, I recruited a friend of mine to go with me. And so, this walking that I did early in the morning, you know, it's totally dark outside. So my senses, and I live kind of in a rural area. So I'm actually, it's more than walking. I'm submerged in outside. Um, I mean, this morning we were between two packs of coyotes that were communicating with each other. So we're out, it's cold, it's pitch black. Um, It's a couple of the days it was misting like heavily on us. And, and we are, chatting and we're talking there's all these other there's all these other elements that like if I say you know prioritizing the morning which is free time right nothing is going on in the morning with anyone else so if you get up you're not neglecting anyone or anything else there was nothing else you were going to do and so I feel like more than just the walking it was you know some sort of (laughs) calming all the way down to my on my cellular level, like just the temperature, the fresh air, um, the noises of the bugs and the birds, all all loads, which we talk about in Move Your DNA, that you would be experiencing, plus chatting conversationally with someone else that wasn't, you know, a podcast or an interview where I'm having yeah. to concentrate on selecting my words. Um, all of that together has just been a huge dose of my own medicine, yeah. so to speak. yeah. Oh man, for sure. And so, um, for anyone who doesn't know, let's let's back up for a little bit. You came out with "Move Your DNA," which is uh, the title is "Restore Your Health Through Natural Movement." And um, I really enjoyed going through it, flipping through it, and pulling some good things out. I mean, I took notes, and um, 
I mean, it was it was an awesome book to go through. Had a lot in there, especially about movement, and I'm excited to talk about it. But what is the CBS kind of TV short response answer to when someone asks you, "What's your book about?" The 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 one and a half minutes I can give you without being interrupted. Totally, <laughs> totally. Go for it. Here's your one and a half. My one and a half. Go. Um, essentially, move your DNA is about a a process called mechanotransduction, um, which is the conversion that your um, cells make of mechanical input, the way that they are deformed, and then how they convert that mechanical deformation into a selection of chemicals that then affect how the cell behaves, meaning that there's this whole other environment called your mechanical environment that has gone unconsidered with um, how your your genes are expressing themselves. So what they know now is that the cytoskeleton, which is a, a component of the cell, can actually communicate directly with the nucleus, meaning that your cells can be behaving exclusively based on mechanical inputs, full stop. But the second component is that the mechanical environment, and they know this through researching animals that are in captivity, that the mechanical environment is critical in maintaining structures and and health, if you will. So as far as biological function, since biological function has always occurred in a very particular environment, which turns in, you know, which boils down to one component being the mechanical environment that that we are really at a mismatch and that we are experiencing diseases of captivity that are similar to the flopped over fin that you see orcas in captivity, the same difficulties with birth and the need for, um, you know, continuous antibiotics. Our immune system isn't moving in the way that it needs to. So essentially we have like these dirty filters. So we've focused on watching what we put into the filter instead of realizing that we can clean our own filters, but that movement is critical. The mechanical environment is critical to all of these biological functions. The end. Okay. Sounds complex. Sounds, <laughs> so, um, but, but it's really not when you boil it down. I mean, it is and it isn't. It's kind of one of those catch 22s. And one thing that stuck out to me right off the bat from this book and move your DNA was uh, what you just brought up there in that, response and it is um the schools in captivity you know or the the animals in captivity and what can we learn from them in the zoo or in the aquarium or whatever and uh you compare it to the movie blackfish which is number one on netflix documentaries um it's been there forever and i i mean i love that thing i almost cried it's just so well done um you and, almost cried yeah i almost did i sucked it up a little bit you know i i I was watching it with some uh, lady friends in the room, so I couldn't. I mean, maybe that would have earned me points. I yeah, you went the you went the wrong way with that one. I should have let it cry. Okay, <laughs> totally. All right, next time, next time, I'll, I'll let it cry. Pretend I didn't see it. Um, and so, you know, it's just such a moving uh, documentary. It's so well done, but it's you know, it's all about the orcas in captivity and kind of what they do and how it affects them. So, how is that kind of like how we are to, in this modern day? Well, I focus on I focus on specifically the collapse of the dorsal fin in in the male. So if you look at that movie, you can see Tilikum. He's a good example. Or if anyone has not seen that movie, if you just go to your computer and Google Tilikum, you'll see a picture of what I mean. So their dorsal fins are are flopped over, and it's rigid. It was soft at one time. So 
um, softening of the dorsal fin is a completely natural phase of life as it's as it's growing, you know, in in whale puberty. So um, packaged as things in nature tend to be, packaged with this softening because it's going through lots of growing is you know, what we consider like extreme swimming, right? So in all, all orcas in general are, are, are already swimming a hundred miles a day. They're swimming yeah. at depths. They're, they're, it's their foraging behavior. It'd be the same thing of what a human goes out and, and does if, if there were no food in your refrigerator, if you had none of the things that you would have, the way that you would be moving would be creating a particular mechanical environment. So whales in captivity outside of that mechanical environment, their structures, which don't come with like in the fin there's no muscle there's no there's no bone through the fin it's completely a soft tissue however as that soft tissue is forming the water itself the forces generated by how a whale swims keeps it upright and um so that's that's really what the book is about is that we ourselves you know we all cry watching these whales in captivity ironically not seeing Mm. our own collapsed fins because everyone is in the tank together. And so because everyone is in the tank, including the scientists who research body structure, you know, it's, it's like asking a whale within the tank to, to figure out why it's, why it's fin is flopping over, but it has no idea of a life outside the tank, which is different than Tilikum who did have time out and then came in. So imagine all the whales always been in there. It's trippy. That's dark, man. We're all in the tank together. No one right. real, no one realizes it. Now, uh, now I got this big rain cloud over me this whole well, time. Well, it's light. It's actually light because what you're—I mean, if you're reading about it, it means that someone does know, and actually, quite a few people know. It's just that um, People Magazine doesn't know. Yeah. You know, <laughs> yeah. so there, there are there are people who are now knowing, and science and the scientific community now is recognizing the error in you know, basing human science on this particular population because all it takes is someone to point it out. And it's like, yes, of course, let's redo the last 77 years with yeah. the data. But whatever, it's happening. Well, you see this kind of um, back-to-nature movement really gaining some steam. I've seen it, you know, kind of exponentially grow over the past two, three, four years ever since I really started getting into um, health. It seems like more and more people now are talking about organic and cage-free and gluten and all this stuff but not even that but more and more people are talking about sleep and you know grounding and earthing and going barefoot or like walking or uh reducing carbon footprints you know whatever label we want to slap on it it's really just getting back to um getting back to getting out of captivity really i mean you know we're trying to break out of that zoo we're trying to break out of that captivity and so um, all these different paths, all these different methods are kind of ways of slowly doing so. You know, you're slowly working your way out of the cage. Um, so I definitely see that. And that was a good example you brought up in your book. Yeah. I mean, there's just all these tiny degrees, you know, no one's got to go live in a cave and throw away their clothes. But um, especially if you're already having ailments now, if you can let yourself out, metaphorically speaking, you know, little, to little degrees out of your cage, you know, what we let our feet out of our foot cages a little bit, you know, with the minimal shoe. It was like, you've been caging your feet. And it's like, oh, I didn't, 
I didn't even know that that was a cage. It's just, I thought it was protection, yeah. right? Because a cage is, cages are a form of protection. So you have to see the good with the bad, understand, and then make your decisions. You think some people take it too far? Because, like, I've seen some people online who it, it kind of looks like they're prepping for a zombie apocalypse. Like, they're storing <laughs> up everything. They have, like, seed banks in their, you know, freezer that doesn't work because freezers are bad. They have, like, they sleep outside. They um, strip the roof off their home and they go all sod, straw, and clay combos like ancient times. Like, there's some people who take it pretty far. Do you think that that's ever a bad thing? Or does it have a certain limit where it stops? Um, where it has diminishing returns? Um, no, I would I would say that you. I don't think you could take it too far biologically. I mean, biologically speaking, yeah, y- you are so far away from in nature that that um, if someone wants to go that far, that's amazing. Um, the limitation would be probably not biologically, but would be more sociologically, meaning. You, by doing that, well, you are, yes, that is one way of saying it. But the other way of saying it is you're in in isolation, which I'm not sure um, if we're going to talk about the natural argument is it's very natural to have a community of people around you. Yeah. Yeah. That's that's one thing too, the social aspect. Sure. sure. Yeah. You're you're alone. I mean, you are going to be in a really um, select small group. So what other levels of your, if you're doing it for your health, then- you might want to, you know, <laughs> try to convince some people to go with you. But, yeah. you know, there are there are also in even in herded animals, there are rogues, you know. And so I'm not maybe the person who is able to do that is a person that recognizes their own um, kind of intrinsic composition, you know, their constitution. And they know that I am someone who 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 would be this rogue person going off in my own i mean human is human experience has been identified by you know small groups of people who will break off from the mainstream and do something different so this could just be again human nature at its best crap it's 20 minutes in and i haven't even asked you some stuff in the book <laughs> oh my gosh okay so um before i get going on rants about freaks in nature and and random stuff i people i know do um I, one thing i want to hit on you brought it up briefly and that was walking and in the book you really get into walking and how great it is for us which i'll let you talk about but um you pointed out it's fascinating that probably our best guess with hunter gatherers or ancestors or even not that long ago was that they walked about a thousand miles a year and that before people freak out and say what are these guys talking about i'm not going out there and walking a thousand miles down the coast it was split up, so they walk about 20 miles a week, which is, what, 2.75 a day or something like that. What's kind of your philosophy then about why we should walk and kind of working it in terms of a daily practice? Well, the book is about loads. So the book is about loads to the cell. I'm asking people to stop thinking about their body as one thing and start thinking about your body as trillions of things that make up that one thing. Mm. So I think... I think the I don't think our way of studying anatomy has helped people understand the nuance of how it works, right? So we've got a much finer thing occurring when you're moving your body around than you recognize. It's not just, you know, moving your arms at your shoulders and moving your legs at your hips. Like that's not what's hap- that's not only what's happening. What's happening is every time you change your position, 
or the position or, you know, trillions of your positions of the cells relative to gravity, that is cellular input. Something is being deformed. You're in a mechanical environment 100% of the time. So if you're laying down in your bed, that's one environment. If you fidget a little bit when you're laying in bed, if if you turn over to the other side, that's a different cellular experience, right? If you imagine yourself as tiny pieces that are all getting squashed based on what they're underneath, laying on your right side is going to be more of a squash to the cells on that right arm and going all the way up to the left side. And then you flip over to the other side and the reverse is true. So your cellular experience is based on what I call load input or what is called load input. Mm. I call it that because that's what it's called. Um, so when you, if we think about loads and we equate them to nutrients, you know that dietarily speaking, that there's a whole bunch of micronutrients that you need, that, that it's not just about eat more. I mean, it is if you're starving, but in general, eat more would be like the worst possible or the least refined dietary prescription to give someone, right? So if yes. someone, you know, they're like, just eat more. But that's kind of what we do with like, just move more. And it's like, well, I'd like to point out that moving more is the equivalent in prescription to just eating more calories. It says nothing about what type of input calorically, nutritionally speaking, someone needs. And then we know so much about nutrition now that it's like, oh, you're having night vision problems. You need vitamin A. We've been able through through having these little pockets of people who've had particular diets and then particular diseases arise, we have reverse engineered what are the essential nutrients for a human body, mm. right? Yeah. So same thing with movement. We know through peak bone, like peak bone density, which, you know, is all set before you're 20. And then you can see how much it whittles away as you get older that, that humans now aren't, aren't getting the correct micronutrient equivalent to lows, meaning their cells aren't being squashed in a way that causes a genetic expression or an adaptation that serves the body for a longer period of time. So walking, I call it the superfood, right? So why do I call it that? It's because, well, if you looked at everything that your body would be doing over the course of a day, if you had nothing that you have now, you had nothing and you had to acquire everything, walking would be the nutrient. It would be the squash or the, or the mechanical experience of your cells that would be most frequent. Mm. So in a culture that hardly walks at all, that walks almost zero compared to um, it being the thing that you would do the most. So let's talk about if we have dietary minded people here, let's talk about you've been fat free since the day you were born and you have all these health issues right now. And you're coming to me for nutritional advice. The first thing I'm going to tell you, it's like, well, there's all these like micro, you're missing so many things. But in general, you've missed fat as a category of nutrients, which a lot of people have, right? It turns out that we actually did eliminate fat as a category for the bulk of people. And now they're adding it back in. Yes. And, and they're going, wow, I thought that my hair and my nails and my skin and my bones and everything in my body was just damaged because I had all these diagnoses of that I had all these problems. But it just turned out they've been missing the largest category of macronutrient. Well, that's what I'm saying about walking. Not walking is equivalent to having a fat-free diet. Mm, okay. And so if someone 
wants to get back in to adding in fat. Obviously, they do it slowly. They do it strategically. But what about walking? Like if someone really wants to take on this uh, walking challenge or get back into walking, it sounds funny, but it's it's really true. I mean, a lot of us sit on our butts all day or even if we stand, we don't walk around. Um, how do you recommend going about implementing walking into a daily practice? Well, and that's why there's there's that chapter. That's why I broke walking up into two chapters, right? There's like, let me talk about walking as this big, giant category of nutrients you're missing. Yeah. But then at the end, it's like, okay, but hold up because you haven't walked. You you like that just walking now isn't necessarily what you need. And that's why there's the walking, the specifics chapter. So again, it's like fat. So I tell you, you need more fat. And you're like, awesome. I'm going to go down and I'm going to find – the fattiest thing on the McDonald's menu yeah, or bring on the, the bacon or yeah b- bacon or 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 candy bars that have a ton of fat and so like that's how that that way of Take saying a bath everyone needs fat a bath, yeah. fat bath right so it's kind of the same way and that's why that's why um a lot of the um the scientific or the allopathic community, really, it's not the scientific community, it's the medical community, bulks at the recommendation for more fat because they're not listening to you enough to say, oh, you mean these particular chains of fat that eat more fat really, again, isn't, it could be helpful initially, but eventually it becomes like, well, no, turns out that there are all these types of fats and that fats packaged with these other nutrients do best and and whatever you everyone yeah. everyone is listening knows what i'm talking about so the same thing with walking walking itself is a category um and that the nutrient the l- nutritious load comes from specific muscles working and so you everyone has a gait pattern that they've acquired that's similar to the accent with which you speak <clears throat> or i speak or everyone else speaks and so that your gait pattern isn't necessarily, and I would wager probably isn't at all, the equivalent to the way you would have walked had you not grown up the way that you did. That because you've been shod your entire life and because you have sat down the bulk of your life and because all of the surfaces you've walked upon have been flat and level, which would be the rarest cellular input really in a natural world. You would never ever load your body on a flat and level ground that to just go out and start logging 10,000 steps or two and three quarter miles or a thousand miles a year wouldn't necessarily translate to the natural cellular load that we're after for optimal genetic expression. So we break it down to go, you need to strip away all of the adaptations in your body so that your walking becomes more refined to mean what I mean by your natural or reflexive gait pattern. Mm. So ditch the high heels, maybe get a pair of Vibrams and maybe start slow. Yeah. And then also do the 17 corrective exercises to restore all the atrophied bits in your body. So that's why there's such a, an exercise, a corrective exercise component to the book, because it's like, here's all the, the grand moves that you would have done, yeah. but here's all the things that you need to do to make those grand moves more equivalent on a cellular level than what they would have been had you been doing them throughout your entire life, which you have not. Got it. And you say that walking is kind of a massage for your cells. So 
if someone starts walking, like you mentioned earlier, you know, with all the stress going on, the launch and all the stuff, you get up and, and you get your butt walking and it takes away all the stress or it, it eliminates it and it makes you just have a, a really like kick-ass day. Um, so someone else who wants to implement walking, how is it kind of like a like a massage for their cells? Well, I would say that, I mean, it's the same thing. It's the squish, right? It's the squish and the compression of your body. You use so much of your body to walk and it's not about speed. It's just about, it's just about the load. And, and really it's the equivalent to, it's just changing. It's just changing your cellular load from what you do most of the time, which is being still probably in a chair. Mm. So it's just, it's a, it's a way of pushing and pulling on your trillions of parts that aren't participating in the bulk of your day. Okay. So what's the challenge then in the book? Um, if someone's doing the, you know, restorative exercises, they're getting the minimalist footwear, when can they start getting out and um, trying to implement like 20 miles a week? What, how, do, how do they go about doing that? Well, and also, you know, I said at the end of the first walking chapter, which is, you know, talking about the big macronutrient or category of it all is really it's okay to go out and start walking right now. Like you're that to go out, you don't have to wait until you've undone, you know, the shape of your body. Yeah. You don't have to wait. It's just that what I don't want is to limit my message to everyone should be walking the end because a lot of people have been walking and they've walked themselves right to a knee, a foot, knee and hip issue. I'm trying to help people understand that, the reason if you did a lot of walking already is because you weren't walking in a way that that was matched well with with your structure and that if you make some changes as you are going along with the walking as you are transitioning to a more minimal footwear and as you are paying attention to not always walk on flat and level ground that you are consuming a lot of walking over varied terrain nutrient which is hugely important and a huge piece that's missing from the minimal footwear movement, which is that it is not natural to consume vast amounts of flat and level. So Mm. if you're going to remove the the padding or the support that the foot gave you, I mean, I'm sorry, that the shoe gave you, you have to start consuming a non-hard, you know, natural terrain gives a lot more than cement and asphalt do. And it has to have different pitches and you have to have different terrain. You have to have grade. You have to be walking uphill and downhill slightly, yeah. all different angles. And it needs to be on rocks and things that really require a lot more of your leg muscles to participate. So it's it's just big. I guess I'm, what I'm trying to say with Move Your DNA is it's way more complicated than we've made it by telling people they need to move more and or saying, and you need to make sure that you're getting cardio strength and flexibility. That's like telling someone they need to eat more and they need to make sure that they're getting protein, fat, and carbohydrates. And mm. frankly, we know too much to continue to give that kind of um, People Magazine level prescription. And I hate to bag on People Magazine, but, you know, yeah, gotta it love, is what gotta it is. Yeah, got to love a good article on Katy Perry, I'm telling I, you. How else would I know what bikini everyone is wearing <laughs> I if know. I didn't have People Magazine? Me too, me too. Same with uh, – same with the bras and the spanks and sucking it in, which is the next point um, I really wanted to get get at you with is, you know, in the book, you talk about kind of um, restrictive clothing and anything that kind of holds you in and, and, and makes it look all nice and together in there when maybe it's spilling out a little places. 
Um, why would that be necessarily bad over a long period of time if I'm wearing some Spanx? Are you wearing Spanx right now? No, I'm, um, I, I normally go for boxer briefs, though. The, I like the, the snug feeling. Okay. All right. That's good. That's a lot of information, but that's good that I know that. Okay. So as you know, move your DNA is not just about, or when I talk about natural movement, I don't just mean the exercises that you do or do not do with your body or the way that you're moving your body relative to the ground, that there's this whole other component of natural movements. And, and so, you know, you, you brought up boxer briefs. So you're talking about, okay, what's my normal testicular movement? What's the load essentially that my balls would be feeling all the time? And how does my underwear affect that in that same way? What about boobs and bras? Like what, what are, what are the loads that the cells in those areas would naturally be under and how are they changed by things like clothing. So even before we talk about Spanx, we talk about stuff that everyone wears. So instead of talking about something that almost nobody wears, I go with underwear because almost everyone right now is listening with underwear, except for that person who has moved out into nature and lives by themselves without a roof. That person has probably given up underwear, I hope. Long time ago, you probably did, yeah. Yeah, and you said freak of nature, but maybe those are the freaks in nature. Yeah, probably a better word for them. Right, those are freaks in nature. Yeah, they're they're freeballing though. So (laughs) um, what do they know that we don't? Well, you'll have to do a test of one. (laughs) Take your underwear off for the next week and you call me and you tell me what you know then oh, that you did goodness. not know right now. So there's that. And then there's things like spank. So we just, we're just not thinking. We're not thinking in terms of our cells being important structures. But if you put a belt around your waist every single, yes. every single day, what do you think happens to the pressure of those environments? And, and when you change pressures arbitrarily based on something like a belt that has nothing really to do with biology, but has to do with fashionology or or whatever else i don't know gotta look um, good yeah right um that that you have to put that in when you have an illness you have to put that in to the equivalent of an input that's in all the time so if you come to me and you're like i've got this health problem it's like oh i noticed that you are taking 17,000 milligrams of vitamin D and now you have liver failure it's the same thing it's like oh i know that you are consuming 17,000 inputs of high intra-abdominal pressure. So that's why you have a hiatal hernia or an inguinal hernia, because if you're going to push on your pressure cavity all the time, the pressure has to go somewhere. It doesn't, you don't live in a vacuum. If you're going to push on something, it pushes on something else, which pushes on something else, which pushes on something else until a structure fails Yeah. or the pressure goes into another place. So and pushing something like your intestines into your thoracic cavity, which happens a lot. And yet no one would ever say, you need to stop wearing a belt. You need to stop sucking in your stomach, etc. You need to stop wearing Spanx, whatever, because no one is busy considering the mechanical environment because no one is really trained in mechanics. Okay. So my brother works at this um, fashion outlet kind of a magazine, really. And, they're, you know, they're really high-end fashion. They're on, on the latest trends. And one of the trends going on right now is Japanese raw denim. And it's this really thick material, really nice. Um, it's big in menswear. And so he got me a pair of those for my birthday. Um, and they're they're really nice. They're, they're super thick. But 
they're pretty tight because I'm a I'm a more athletic bodybuilder style build. Um, and so in the legs and the thighs and everywhere around there, they're super tight and restrictive. And I can literally feel them throughout the day when I walk that they're restricting my movement. Um, and it's kind of, I mean, I don't know if I should give them up or it sounds like what you're saying is I should ditch them all together, but you know, there's kind of that sunk costs in there and that they were a gift and stuff. But what would that be doing to me over time if it's, you know, just totally restricting my movement because it's tight and hard to move in? Well, I mean, that's a thing. That's a thing that no one really knows yet, because I mean, just with the recent understanding of a of a mechanical environment affecting genetic expression, it's going to take thirty to forty years before they figure out, you know, what exactly everything does. But if you look at the diseases of mechanotransduction, then you just kind of look around in that area. I mean, as far as what goes around your waist, that's probably what most is most understood at the level of um, at the most basic level of digestion, you know, digestion, um, pelvic, anything, anything in the gut, you know, type area. But then also if you're having something just above or just below the gut, right. So pelvic or thoracic, that that could be from the pressure around the gut. And, Mm. and so like, as far as that goes around the waist, as, as far as circulation down the leg, or it's not even, it's more about how do those cells respond to being squashed. And if you're wearing those pants, if you're varying it up, I mean, cells, your your body is pretty adaptable. Adaptable. It's just it's the high frequency input. So if you're only wearing, can I call them skinny jeans? Is yeah, that what they really it. are? Yeah, is that pretty, what they are? They're pretty you, skinny. I'd you like use the international. So. You said international. Like you're like these are like these Japanese inter- international Raw structure denim, thing. Yeah. They're skinny jeans, right? Yeah, pretty much. You know what? It's all about the karate pants. Okay, I got to transition to those. You're gonna have to find some karate pants. Well, I have those ones. To balance it out. You know? Yeah, the, the super breathable ones that are real comfortable and they're like this nice brown. Yeah, 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 yeah those. Um, well, what about yoga pants though? Are those yay or nay? Yeah, it's just all about, it's just all about are they pushing or pulling on your cells? How much are they pushing and pulling on your cells? Okay. So what about like the super tight yoga pants then? You know, are those... Um, since they're so stretchable and, and breathable, I guess, are they better or worse or should they go looser or kind of what's the deal? Well, I guess it depends on like like yoga pants, the, the pants like uh, stretch pants, you know, the, the yeah. nice thing about stretch pants is um, they, unlike karate pants, wouldn't get caught on things, which is another way of limiting your motion. So there's many different ways that clothing can limit motion. It could be on the cellular level, but it could also be on the structural level, like important when you're dressing your kids. It's like, is the outfit that I'm putting my child in something that is limiting their ability to reach one leg away from each other or would get caught up as they're trying to climb on something, which eventually discourages them from climbing. So there could be just the cellular experience of the pressure of a garment, but also if you get too baggy of a garment, that it then affects the larger motions of the joints. So I think you're just looking for, you're looking to reduce those things that are clear to you that are interfering with your health. So not everyone wants to transition to suspenders like my husband did, but he was having a lot of bathrooming um, pelvic kind of gut issues. Yeah. just gas, you know, like, you know, sorry, hun, but like, that's what he was like. And for years, and then he just realized just one day he just tuned into 
that he was straining his abdomen against his belt. He could feel that he was contracting a muscle in response to try to keep his pants up. And then he was like, oh, I just, I just never recognized basically a force that I have been generating mm. for 30 years. Well, I'd imagine it'd be kind of similar. Um, the image that just popped into my mind is like if you sprain your leg or break your bone, they put you in what? They put you in a cast and it restricts your motion so it um, so you can't move and so it heals that way. But I guess if we're not broken and our abdomens aren't totally busted, well, if we put ourselves in kind of that tight, limited range cast, if you will, um, it's going to restrict our motion. It's going to adapt to whatever load we we. Uh, impact upon it. So, yeah. And if you want to talk about casts, just a, a quick list of casts, if I may. may go for I? it. Yeah, go for it. Your clothing, right? So, your clothing is casts. The ground is a cast because it's flat and level, which means it doesn't allow all the parts that would move were it not flat and level. It prevents those from moving. So, the ground is a cast. Unnatural terrain is a cast. Your computer screen is a cast. Because it's a fixed distance, you know, from your eye. But then the house, the wall that you live in, that's also a second cast because it prevents you from looking at all these other distances. And then you've got the cast of of shoes, you know, that you wear upon your feet. Your chair is a cast. These are all things that we do every single day, almost continuously, all day long, that your body adapts to, which means... When you adapt to a cast, if you've ever put a cast on, right? If you broke something and you put a cast on, when you take the cast off, what's happened is you've actually changed your mass distribution to make being in that cast easier on your body. To Because if you're still in a particular area, your body doesn't maintain the structure that was there before that allowed for movement because it'd be a waste energetically, metabolically speaking. It's a waste of energy. So your body consumes the mass, the tiny pieces of mass, the sarcomeres within your muscle get get cannibalized and they go away. Um, you lose um, capillaries that were there to feed those. So you become less. And once you get out of that cast, what happens is if your mind has also really become less because the tissues that used to be there to monitor that those motions are no longer there. They're there, but they're, they're not functioning. And so um, a friend of mine uses a really great example. Like if you take a baby elephant and you tie up its back legs from the day that it was born, when you take that tie off two years later, it has no idea that it was tied up. It just moves in the way that it adapted to this situation. It doesn't go wow, finally those are off and I'm going to start exploring all of this territory that wasn't made available to me. Your mind has adjusted mm. to the scenario. And so it's because we are casted by essentially this tank that we are all swimming around on, the amount of motion that is available to you in the natural you know, world compared to what is available to you now even as you've stripped away things will never occur to you unless you have sort of protocol for you to explore it. And so that's what I've tried to do is go, here's a protocol for you to start exploring, to recognize what types of movements you should be able to, you should have done and you should be able to do. And here's, you know, what I think will help get you closer there. Okay. And so move, move your DNA is definitely 
um, got some stuff in there that can help you get closer. But if someone read the book and they put it down, and it'll be different for everyone, but what's kind of the take-home message um, or biggest lesson that you want to get to people who read your book? Um, I guess the biggest message is um, exercise is not movement. It's not enough. I would assume that most people listening are exercisers. And if you just, if you listen to this or read the book and you're like, you sit down and you're like, okay, I'm not ready. (laughs) I'm not ready to take on all this stuff. At least if you can start observing how still you have become and how frequently you outsource your body and your brain's function to an inanimate object, eventually you, when you have an issue, a health issue, you'll be able to start putting two and two together. That's that's my hope mm. for that book. Mm. Awesome, awesome show, Katie. Thanks so much for coming on. Before uh, we end, where can people go pick up move, not movement that matters, um, move your DNA? The bookstore. I mean, if you go to your Barnes and Noble right now, it'll be there. Okay. You know, hopefully, um, you can call first. But yeah, so all of your major bookstores should have it. Um, you can get it. You know, of course, Amazon. And also, there's an audiobook, so you can actually listen to the whole dang thing while walking. And I made it equivalent to 20 miles, and it has the mile markers in huh. there. It's like this chapter, cool. this chapter is worth three miles. And so, if you just put it on, said so I'm just gonna, and it comes with a PDF with all the printed exercises too, so you can work on those later. But if you would just um, commit to reading, to listening to it, then or listening to it when you drive if you have to. But if you walk and listen to it, you'll be you're 20 miles closer right there. That's pretty cool. That's pretty cool. What about uh, yourself? Where can people find out more about you and your work and what you do? Uh, RestorativeExercise.com or KatieSays.com. K A T Y. You can find out more than you ever wanted to know about me. Awesome. Except underwear. I don't talk about my underwear. Okay. Well, I do. I'm I know. Yeah. Brad. It's our role. <laughs> Katie, thanks so much for coming on the show. Thanks, Clark.